Well, good morning and welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes and this is a conversation I've been really looking forward to having. I've got Joel Harder here with me this morning. And uh, Joel, I'm going to let you introduce yourself in a minute, but I just wanted to say uh, the reason I'm excited about this podcast is because I want people to hear your story. I want them to hear about what you do. And the context, honestly, couldn't be better for this. Because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what you do working with politicians and elected officials, and we're a week away from an election. So this really couldn't have come at a better time. Um, Take a minute and just tell us kind of about you, who you are, what you do to get us rolling. Sure. Uh, Thanks, Cole. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I love the So We Speak podcast. I love listening to you and your dad and, and Ben and others that you've had. Uh, on on the podcast, I really enjoy the way you think and the way y'all talk and, and dive into things. So I am I'm kind of geeking out just to get to be on. Well, the I appreciate podcast. it, man. But, I feel the same way. Um, we uh, so I moved to Oklahoma City a little over two years ago from the Washington D.C. area. I'm originally from Central Texas. Uh, moved up to D.C. and did a couple different things, but ultimately was serving on staff at a church in the in the metro D.C. area, doing young adult ministry and doing uh, missions and discipleship at a at a decent sized church up up in the northern Virginia, Washington D.C. area. Yeah. And we just had you know in serving in a church in that context, we had a lot of politicos, a lot of Capitol Hill staffers, a lot of folks that uh, served. Uh, yeah. in in Congress that were part of our church. And we were, were one of those churches that just kind of threaded that needle. Yeah. And we had people across the spectrum, you know, politically, um, happily worshiping together and serving together and promoting the mission of, of the gospel together. And so it was a wonderful place for me to kind of cut my teeth in yeah. pastoral ministry. Um, we moved to Oklahoma a couple years ago, kind of unexpectedly had the opportunity. My wife was offered a, a job that she kind of couldn't say no to. Mm-hmm. We, we tried to say no, but we couldn't. We yeah. saw God in it. And we moved here. I was finishing a degree uh, through Southeastern, and it was just kind of the right time, right moment uh, for us to make this move. And I got recruited uh, into a ministry called Capital Commission. And Capital Commission is a nationwide ministry uh, we are uh, we're based on First Timothy chapter two, which which commends all believers to pray uh, for all people and to pray for first of all for our leaders, for kings and those in authority, um, making intercessions on their behalf and giving thanks for them. and And uh, and Capital Commission exists to place a pastoral presence in state capitals and reach the capital community for Christ and. And so the, the goal of Capital Commission is to find uh, full-time disciple makers who will go in and begin to engage with elected leaders and their staff uh, to, uh, to encourage them, to pray for them, to bring that pastoral presence that is so often needed mm-hmm. uh, in, in their day and in their week and in the midst of, of really tense legislative cycles. Um, to bring a ministry of proclaiming the word, and so mm-hmm. we'll do uh, we'll do Bible studies for members. We'll do Bible studies for staff. Uh, we'll do various uh, opportunities and ways to 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 share uh, the the word uh, in yeah. that context in that place, and then finally to bring a ministry of prayer to right. them and for them. And so uh, I, I I was a little skeptical at first. Um, it wasn't the path or trajectory I, I was 
personally focused on, uh-huh. um, but my wife and I prayed about it, and some of my mentors really encouraged me that because of the background serving in the D.C. area, uh, just being familiar with the legislative culture, that, well, perhaps God would use us. Yeah. <laughs> and he would and use me. I mean, if you look at yeah. it, the, it, this this group of people, these elected officials, mm-hmm. you know, we think about it like, well, why, why can't they just, you know, be ministered to like anybody else? Right. But then... You, from from the flip side, you think of it in, in some ways, the nature of their job, the nature a lot of times of their wiring. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people that run for public office, high, high achievers, leadership, a lot of initiative, constantly going. Um, they're, they're a group of people that in some ways I think really struggle to feel connected to a church body, to uh, a culture. There's a lot of transience. Obviously, when you're living in D.C., you're seeing people come and go mm-hmm. all the time. But even here working in the Capitol. Tell us a little bit about how you can uniquely minister to those people, what probably is a pretty overlooked group of people religiously um, that work at state capitals across the country. Well, I mean, and you talk about the transience of, of people coming and going in the D.C. area. I mean, legislators that are in Oklahoma City at 23rd and Lincoln are from all over the state. Mm-hmm. And some of them are, are kind of close enough that they can drive in every day. But, you know, there are members that that will, will have temporary housing and will will be living apart from their families, uh, away from their, their, their communities. And, and their, if they're involved in a local congregation, away from their faith community back home. Mm-hmm. And they're here in Oklahoma City for, for four days out of the week going back and forth. And so there is, you know, there's just a pace of life and a, and a strain that, that, that can disconnect you from your community right. and from your typical support structures that you may have um, that, that maybe the, the average person doesn't appreciate or anticipate. Yeah. And, you, you know, I, I, I'm convicted and convinced that for every Christian, for every believer, God is doing a work in which the the heart is being transformed and the life is being refashioned and remade mm-hmm. into the image of Jesus Christ. And I believe with all my heart that that happens just as much for our elected leaders uh, and their staff while they are about the people's work in the Capitol, in the legislature, in committee hearings, on the floor, debating, dialoguing. Uh, that, that work of transformation that the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives, it happens just as much when they are mm-hmm. there as when... They're back home in their in their uh, homes with their families or in their faith communities at their churches, and so we as believers, as Christians, as pastors, we really have an opportunity, and I feel a responsibility to meet them where they are, doing mm-hmm. all of that work, and provide that kind of encouragement and support. It, it's so easy. The temptation in this world, no matter what your vocation or what your work or life may look like is to kind of separate mm-hmm. the work that you do each and every day from that faith formation that happens and kind of kind of regulate that to something that happens on on Sundays or, mm-hmm. or whenever you go to church uh, and that's not true mm-hmm. um, uh, what I really try to encourage the believers that are that I get to interact with is that you, you know your identity in Christ is not something you check at the door when you walk into the office on right. Monday morning. It's something you bring into your work, you bring into into your interactions, into your conversations. And so, a lot of what I get to do, you know, I, we're an independent organization. We're an independent nonprofit. You know, evangelical ministry. I'm not. 
uh, employed by the state. I don't receive mm-hmm. any taxpayer dollars for what yeah. I do. I don't have an office in that building, uh, which is probably a good thing. If I did, I'd probably just camp out and hide. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm, I don't. So I'm roaming that building. I'm walking around the floors. I'm, I'm constantly walking up and down the halls, sticking my head in their office, talking to both the legislative aides that are working for them, as well as back in their office, getting to sit down and mm-hmm. talk to a member. And I just go, you know, office to office, trying to bring a a, a presence uh, that I pray yeah. is more impacted uh, by the Spirit of Christ in me than anything I can bring to them. And I think a good example to share of of what it's like to bring that pastoral presence is, you know, whenever there's something going on in the legislature that might be very hotly contested. Um, you know, obviously what springs to mind this year is when the, the teacher walkout was happening. Right. And that building was just inundated with thousands of people that were very, very energized. Yeah. And, and all local. of them in really good moods. Too. All of them in yeah. great moods. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just the level of tension yeah. that was that filled that place. And so, uh, you, you know, I, a lot of what I would do during that teacher walkout is I would... Uh, I would step into a, a member's office and I just close the door and you'd still hear the rumblings of, it, of the noise outside the door. And I would just stand there and the LA would, would the legislative aide would be looking at me with just eyes like saucers, just waiting for me to say something. I just stand there for a second mm-hmm. and I would just say, peace, right. <laughs> just breathe yeah. and just have a moment um, to, to breathe. And, and that was, you know, it's a simple thing, but, I would have I would have people break down, you know. I mean, the the tensions and the stress that our elected leaders and the staff that support them in their work undergo each and every day and throughout that legislative uh, session is extraordinary. And the the most significant help available to them, whoever they are, mm-hmm. whether they're a believer or not, mm-hmm. is is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes through God's word. That's what I try to do. You know, until I met you, one of the things I have always kind of felt about politics and politicians specifically is there may not be a group of people more inoculated when it comes to religion because when it, when it comes to getting votes and getting elected, you know, there's still this pressure to be religious. And so you kind of pin this identity on politicians that they only have a a veneer of religion. You know, it becomes kind of an add-on to who they are so that they can get votes. And I've come to find out that that's not actually true. But when you think about it, we really want our politicians to be moral. And in fact, we're outraged when they're not. Like When we think there's a stance of some kind that doesn't line up with what we think should be going on morally, whatever side we're on, we hold those people accountable. But when it comes to their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't give that hardly any thought. And so one of the things I kind of wonder if you're going to if you're going to think critically about how to reach people with that perception. Whether or not that's true about them as as individuals. How do you begin to break into that community with a genuine desire to disciple them, to bring them to Christ, to see conversions. I mean, you're doing the Great Commission with a very specific group of people and a very difficult group of people, I would think, to reach for the gospel. How do you go about reaching people like that? Well, first, you have to believe that they are people that God loves and wants to be reached with the gospel. Yeah. Um, 
which isn't always true in our uh, political environment. Mm -hmm. Um, We are, uh, politics and kind of the state of things maybe drives us more to to, um, not uh, appreciate or respect or revere someone is worth reaching. And the gospel just absolutely turns that on its head and says Mm -hmm. everyone yeah. Uh, everyone deserves to be reached with the gospel. And so you begin by wanting to reach them with the gospel. You're absolutely right. And I've experienced that quite a lot, this sense of maybe even skepticism mm-hmm. from people outside the Capitol that will be learning about the ministry. And they'll they'll see exactly what you described. Maybe there's a religious veneer uh, or, or overtone to them. And it's, you know, they really are cynical or skeptical of how, authentic it really is? Are they just acting that way in order to get votes? Yeah, that's a good word for it. I think there's this perception that it's, it's a useful thing more than it is a genuine thing. Yeah. I I have been blessed and overjoyed to, to discover a wonderful community of authentic, faithful believers Mm. in that building. Um, the, the presence of, of, of genuine, uh, uh, Christ, loving, God-fearing men and women who are working day in and day out uh, in the capital is, uh, is overwhelming. And, and that's one of the great, you know, one of the functions of the ministry is to, is to lead Bible studies. And so I'll, be, I'll lead Bible studies with members. Some are members only Bible studies. I may be the only non-elected person in the room, and some is kind of a, a mix of just anybody in the building, members and staff. And, and whether, between the elected leaders and the staff, there's a great community of faithful people. And it's so important that they have those those times regularly, maybe maybe every week, where they can get together with other believers that are in that environment, because uh-huh. they can they can really sympathize with one another and the stress that they're under in a way that maybe they're not able to sympathize as well externally, maybe yeah. in their home church even, because well, guess who's in their home church? Potential voters, maybe. Right. So yeah. so there is a that that's one thing. There's a great community of believers that are already there. Mm-hmm. And and a large part of what what we do in the ministry is is really just try to reach and encourage and build them up, so that they can continue to grow in their faith and to model Christ likeness as they do their work. Because mm-hmm. one of the best ways to reach a non believer is by modeling the love of Christ yeah. in a way that's actually going to be uh, observable and meaningful to them. And because it's in their context, mm-hmm. you know, isn't that really what we teach in missiology? We're trying yeah. to teach how to cross contextual boundaries in order to share the love of Christ in a way that's meaningful. So so one of the tactics, if you would, of, of reaching non-believers in that arena uh, is by building up and encouraging the believers in that arena. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's to, uh, it's to approach a very intentional and specifically non-political, non-lobbying, non-partisan ministry approach. So this kind of surprised me when I first got to know you, got to you know, hear about the ministry and that kind of thing. How can you be a Christian ministry mm-hmm. and not be partisan, not take a stance, not lobby? That was kind of mind-blowing when I first encountered your ministry, first met you and talked through it. How is a Christian and how is a Christian ministry? Can mm-hmm. you do that? Well, um, with practice, <laughs> I, with, without a, um, uh, you know, without trying to, to sound, you know, in any way inappropriately boastful, being nonpartisan takes effort. 
yeah. it does take practice. Yeah. It's not something that comes naturally, especially not in our current cultural well, Especially climate. not in politics. No. And so it does take effort. It takes intentionality. And um, I think that in my life, the Lord used my uh, ministry experience in Washington, D.C. to help mm-hmm. kind of cultivate some of those skills and abilities in me. But um, definitely it, it just, it takes intentionality and effort. Um, I take a great refuge in, in the interaction Jesus had when, when he was trying to get, you know, caught in, in a dispute over, over the, the responsibility that the people would have to the government and kind of asked about taxes. And I, yeah. I, I, I love Jesus's response because, um, I, I'd have, uh, I've not studied it well enough to know if, uh, I'm, if I'm way off base. So forgive the hermeneutical license. I almost think Jesus <laughs> maybe laughed to himself internally and just said this, okay, come on guys, yeah. give to Caesar what Caesar's, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, be, be about more important things. I kind of, I, I kind of felt like there's, there's a primary mission. There's a right. primary goal and this in no way diminishes the significance mm-hmm. of the policies. And that's an important thing. Yeah. Capital commission, our ministry uh, what 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 I'm doing, what I encourage you know Christians broadly to to do is to care. Yeah, we should care about the policies being debated right. because they matter. They matter to God. It this they're not insignificant. They are meaningful, and the policies that are implemented in state capitals and in Washington D.C. very really affect homes and individuals and businesses and communities across our, our mm-hmm. state. And so they matter and we should care. But we look at a specific intentional strategy of planting a non-lobbying, non-partisan, non-political, evangelical, gospel-centered ministry presence in that context that's yeah. going to take those those policies recognize them for what they are, meaningful, significant policy discussions, but set them aside as far as my, my personal interest. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm walking around that building, I'm, I look like a lobbyist. I smell like a lobbyist, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm wearing yeah. the suit. I'm, I'm, I'm in that environment walking around. But when a member sees me coming, they know that I, I don't want anything from them. All mm-hmm. I want is something for them. Yeah. I want them to be encouraged with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I want them to be prayed for. Mm-hmm. And they, it's a ministry of relationship, and this takes time. But over time, members have, have come to know that that is what I care about. Mm-hmm. I care about them being prayed for and being encouraged. And, and because they know that I don't want anything from them, I don't want a vote, I don't want... Uh, an earmark. I, I'm not asking for anything that is that is too partisan or, or politically motivated. That gives me and grants me uh, a, a level of credibility with them. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're having members-only Bible studies, mm-hmm. these become great moments and opportunities where people from from very different sides of particular political issues or policy debates can come together and they know that in the Capital Commission Bible study, we set those aside to encourage one another uh, in the faith, through mm. the word, and in prayer. Yeah. And then my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts and on their minds mm-hmm. 
that, and I think of James 3, and I think of what godly wisdom, yeah. wisdom that is from above is like, that, that, that that is what is being promoted in their hearts and minds so that when they step away from that Bible study and they go onto that, that chamber floor and they begin debating back and forth, that they're actually, they're actually engaging in that work of policymaking, which is important. Mm-hmm using using the the tools and resources available to them in godly wisdom. I think this is a, I love the way you put that because you know it, it, an insight that I've had and and reached through studying the intersection of theology and politics is our impulse a lot of times is to resort to a kind of theocratic vision of the world like mm-hmm. the only way that you can get things done is if you have explicitly Christian laws and Christian government. And if you do that, you have a really hard time making a compelling argument for, um, you know, religious freedom for anybody other than your own religion. But in America, we, we do believe in as Christians, especially we believe in religious freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Well, because the biblical vision comes down to individual people and their relationship with God. So one of the things I've kind of learned by watching you and by listening to you is you engage really difficult topics from the standpoint of nonpartisan non-lobbying is it's not that the policies are amoral. So it's not that you have to pretend like you don't have a stance on the policies. It's that when you rank the order of importance, the morality of a policy is less important than the soul of an individual politician. And if you think about the way the Bible really portrays the relationship between theology and politics, you know, Jesus confronts some very unsavory people politically in in the Bible. And it's not that he never says anything partisan, with the way we would use that. It's kind of anachronistic. But it's not that he never says anything that way. It's that he never uses people to get to policy goals. So Jesus is concerned when he confronts the centurion, for example, or when he talks to Pilate, for example, about them as an individual human being. Um and then when he teaches, sometimes he says some things that were very politically incendiary during the, in the day. But when you think about our relationship to politics, our primary allegiance is to the salvation of people's souls, to the kingdom of God, and the implications that will have. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a Kyperian when it comes to politics. I think that Christians impact politics through policy sometimes, mm-hmm. but primarily through the individual Christian conscience working together to bring about the justice of God in the world. So what you really want is the people who are doing the lawmaking, the culture building, all of that, acting on their individual conviction, the leading of the Holy Spirit, in a group where they may disagree with other people who claim to be Christians, working towards their common goals. And if you see the world that way, you have room for religious and political diversity and freedom in your culture. And in fact, that actually makes things better. And you, you don't have to sacrifice uh, saying, well, I, you know, I, I basically can't assert that I think Jesus is the only way to heaven because I have a particular political commitment. Because when you're doing that kind of ministry, your political commitments are subservient to your kingdom commitments. And I, I, I just love the commitment of the ministry to say, you know what, as important as politics is, like you said, we're not going to downplay you know, the, the idea that politics matters and that there are rights and wrongs in the world and, and legislation should maybe take certain shapes at certain times. But we're going to put all that on pause for a moment and say, at the end of the day, though, 
the most important commitment we have is to bringing the truth and the peace of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need him. Whether it's encouraging believers, whether it's reaching non-believers with the gospel, whether, and, and I like this too, because this is just something that is so not appreciated in the American church, whether it's just being a person of peace to people that don't have any peace, that's a Christian calling. And I love that part of your ministry. I, I don't have time to, to share individual stories of how I've seen this happen, but I have committed myself to um, the teaching of Jesus, and I've seen God use me in the ministry in this way and such that I'm, I'm wholly grateful and thankful to God and committed to it. But I take very seriously when Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they mm-hmm. shall be called the sons and daughters of God. And I, I have... I I wake up asking that that be how God uses me yeah. in this ministry, and I've seen I've seen Him do it, and it's um, it always amazes me, and it just fires me up for the power of God and that God's doing things in our capital. But you know, Jesus also said, you know, out, out you know from the heart flows the words of the mouth. I mean, mm-hmm. we we can never forget that these. Uh, Politicians, these elected leaders, are debating policies, and they use that. Uh, they use the power of rhetoric, uh, and and yeah. and they they're using tons of research and, and data and statistics to back it up. But they are they are speaking as they debate, and so I pray that God transforms their heart, mm-hmm. and that out of out of their heart would flow the words of their mouth. And that's what yeah. that's what we're after. You know, you. It's so interesting when we think about. You know what is our aim mm-hmm. when we pray for leaders, and yeah. why? Why? Why did Paul write to Timothy in First Timothy chapter two? Pray for our leaders. Why did he do it? Mm-hmm. What is what is the what is his reason behind even telling him to do it? But then also, what's the intended result of the prayer? And you know, and this is our founding verse. You know, chapter two of First Timothy. Uh, where he says, first of all, then I urge petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for everyone. And then he then he delineates for kings and those who are in authority. And in modern representative democracy, we interpret that to be elected leaders and officials, representatives, senators, governors, presidents. Um, what's the intended re- outcome of the prayer? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Mm-hmm. The outcome of the prayer is not so that my policy wins, <laughs> so that right. my my position wins, so that and 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 that policy can be absolutely uh, God honoring and biblical. Yeah, but that's not the intended result of the prayer. The intended result of the prayer is that we may lead quiet lives in all godliness. But then verse three, this is good. And it pleases God our Savior, and then this is where it all comes down to it, verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, this this founding verse, this call to pray for our leaders is rooted in, a, in the Father heart of God mm-hmm. that desires for the truth of the gospel and His word to go out and to reach more people. Mm-hmm. And and for more people to hear it and, and encounter it and come to salvation, that that's that's where all of this is 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 going. That's mm-hmm. the, that's where this this verse is driving us to, and that's actually where it comes from. I love the lead in yeah. to, to chapter two because Paul is 
he's he's writing, okay, what is the big idea? Why did Jesus come? Uh-huh. And he starts by like looking at his own life and he says, I was a blasphemer, an insolent opponent, yeah. a persecutor. He was a violent, hateful murderer of people. Yeah. You know, that's Paul. Right. And he says, but this saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, even me. He says, right. I'm, I'm the worst of them. Yeah. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the mission. That's what he came for. And then he enlists Timothy. And he says, and we, his disciples, are to be part of this mission. Mm. And I love, he, he, he says, we're to wage the good warfare. Yeah. And, you know, so, so many times when people hear the ministry and hear me talk about we pray for our leaders, and that's what we do. We, 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 yes, we get involved, and yes, we care, but we begin with prayer. And sometimes I see people kind of check out, and they think, oh, he's just telling me to sit back and pray and not care about what's going on in my state or in my country. Not at all. By no means. Yeah. Christians do not sit passively and wait for the world to just pass us by. We are mm-hmm. to lean in and to engage. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are to make a difference. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the world in which we live, in the communities, in the state, in the nation in which we reside, there are Christians can be involved and should be involved in our politics at every level, and they are. Mm-hmm. Some are, are, are advocating for very significant, important policies. Some are involved in campaigns. Some are running for office. Some mm-hmm. are serving in office. There are, at every level, Christians have every right and opportunity and should be engaged Mm-hmm. But of all the ways that God calls us to be engaged, none of them come before the call to pray. See, that's that's interesting that you guys begin there, and and also interesting because you know you read through First Timothy, mm-hmm. and when you put it in the context that you have, it makes total sense why you would make that the founding verse of your ministry. But a casual reading through First Timothy—that's a part that we often skip, mm-hmm. and I think, or at least don't assign a ton of value to. And I think part of that is because we're convinced, and I mean, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody, we're convinced in the back of our minds that praying doesn't actually do anything. Oh, yeah. Especially when yeah. it comes to corporate prayer yeah. or praying for entities. You know, so I, it's it's hard enough to pray and expect God to answer your prayers when it's your own life. Yeah. But it seems like it's even harder to pray and expect God to answer your prayers when it has to do with institutions, especially things like government. I mean, that just seems too big. And it's embarrassing to admit this. We would never admit this to anybody, unless we're being really honest. That seems like something too big for God to actually do because of your prayer. You know, so you get convicted over this, but I think that's where a lot of people are, is you pray for your elected officials out of obligation. But do you really pray with any expectancy that it's going to change something? I mean, like, because on the one hand, you pray for individuals and you hope that they become Christians. Or on the other, you pray for widespread revival. But anything in between seems like kind of a lost cause. Right. And I'll never forget when I first started thinking about the importance of praying for elected officials. Is when I, I think I was first or second year of college. I walked into this family's house that I knew. And they had a, on their bookshelf, they had a framed picture of President Obama. And I was like... I knew these people. They're as conservative as they come, Republicans. And I thought, like, why do you have a picture of Obama on your bookcase? And I asked them that. I said, I like your picture, you know. And they said, that's our president, and we pray for him every single day. Yeah. And I just, it just struck me. I was like, well, I've never even thought yeah. about praying for any president. 
But definitely I had not thought at that point about praying for President Obama, and I started. And it's frustrating at times, but it's stretching at times. And it and it tests that commitment. Do you really think that God answers prayers or not? I will butcher the quote, so I'll paraphrase D.M. and Hebert, who said, Prayer is the most significant and vital resource available to the church, and it is also the most underutilized. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, I think Ralph Earl said, prayer is the most significant part of corporate worship. Hmm. Um, and then, of, of course, you know Oswald Chambers famously, you know, wrote that you know, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater yeah. work. We will never truly appreciate. Uh, well, uh, few of us will ever truly appreciate exactly how significant and affective the prayers of God's people truly are. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this verse because mm-hmm. he starts by saying, pray for all people. Mm-hmm. And so we could just like, we could take that as, as um, I think, I think John Piper uh, said this one time, we could take that as an, as an excuse to be lazy in our yeah. praying, you know, sip coffee in the morning. God, I pray for all people. Save, pray generally. save them all. Yeah. You know, um, that's not what this is. Why does he start by saying, pray for all people, then immediately follow it up and say, Pray specifically for rulers and leaders. Yeah. It's because when the Christian prays, Paul is telling Timothy, as you lead that church, you need to lead these people of God to understand that they have the most significant power and resource available to them through the kingdom they could possibly imagine. And it's available to them at any moment of the day, any place on earth. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the ability to approach the throne of grace and make intercessions and give thanksgiving and pray for people. It's not it's not just pray for all people. It's not just pray for all men, but pray for that man. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to pray for that man who sits in that office, that woman yeah. who chairs that committee. Yeah, I can't yeah. think of who the monarch is now, but I just remember this great story about John Knox. And they said, maybe you, maybe you remember who this was, but they said that he said the thing he feared the most in the entire world wasn't a foreign invader. It was the prayers of John Knox. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's hard to find somebody that's even worthy of a quote like that yeah. because you're right. It, it's so easy to just pray generally and, you know, but to have the conviction to pray for that specific person. Yeah. who's in a specific role, praying things for their heart, praying things for their policies, you know, all, covering all of that is an aggressive form of praying. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something where you really are, you know, asking God to do something that only God can do. Well, and if first part is just getting Christians and believers across our state to catch that, to understand mm-hmm. what, what they have in, in prayer. Um, the second thing is helping them understand how to pray. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already kind of talked a little bit about. Look at this verse. It you know, you're checking your political agenda at the door, and you're praying for the person. You know, I've, in in our in our current uh, system of government, you know, the way we're a representative democracy, and we've we have individuals step out from the crowd, and they are up in in, the, in that building, navigating complex issues. You know, more often than not, you will see it's the eleventh hour uh-huh. when the policies are coming together. We we rarely know 
what the final policy will look like. Mm-hmm. The, the people serving in office don't even know what the final policy will look like. That's their job is to navigate yeah. and work together to to find those those areas of agreement and and navigate writing that policy. So we may not know what the actual plan will be, what the path will look like that will eventually be implemented and passed, but the people who will be crafting that plan well, we know them by name. Mm-hmm. So we pray for them. And this is a great opportunity for me to pitch and to share and plug the prayer tool that we have. Because, you know, we, uh, I mentioned the teacher walkout. You know, advocacy can take on many different forms. Um, engaging and lobbying uh, legislative bodies to, to implement policies, that can look like a protest, that can look like a, a well-organized you know, letter writing campaign that mm-hmm. can look like having a paid representative to go into that building and to educate, you know, members about, you know, your, your position that can take on a lot of different, a lot of different, you know, manifestations, but imagine what, what advocacy might look like uh, if it was bathed in the tactics of prayer. Mm-hmm. So we have a prayer tool called pray one Tim org. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic tool. It basically works like an e-newsletter that's auto-generated. You can sign up for it. You can you know, click on your state, and you will get um, uh, an auto-generated email, and you can set the frequency. But in this email, you're going to get thumbnail pictures of legislators, uh, judges, um, elected officials at the state level and at the federal level. You're going to have scriptural guides things to 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 guide you as you're praying for them. Uh, and then if you're tech savvy, if you're social media savvy, you'll see a, a, a Twitter handle mm-hmm. hyperlink. And I learned when I really got involved in the arena of politics that everything's on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I'm not very good at Twitter, but you got to be on Twitter if you're going to engage in politics. That's just where where they live and breathe, good yeah. or bad. That's where they are. And imagine, just imagine if you would, what would happen at 23rd and Lincoln if our legislators were receiving on a daily, weekly, monthly basis um, dozens and dozens, hundreds of messages mm-hmm. coming from Christians across the state of Oklahoma who who got that e-newsletter, clicked on that Twitter handle and said, hey, representative, I want you to know that I prayed Ephesians 3 for you today. Mm-hmm. Have a great day. Just imagine if if our legislature were receiving those kinds of messages and and never underestimate the power of 140 characters. Yeah. If that's what they were getting on a daily, weekly, monthly basis from believers in our state, the impact that would have on their lives, on their hearts, on the work they do, the the debating, the dialoguing that they do, that's that's part of the ministry of capital commission is trying to engage Christians who may be so fed up and mm-hmm. frustrated with the state of things that they just are walking away and there may even be some wisdom in that yeah <laughs> rather than to get drawn into the toxicity of uh-huh. it all but but don't walk away lean in begin with prayer begin with praying with a heart of thanksgiving making intercessions for our leaders imagine the difference that would make mm-hmm. so Across the nation, we've been preparing now for like a year or two years, it seems like, for these midterm elections. And local, national ramifications, um, 
you know, if you read the news, this is legitimately the most important election of our lifetime it until the, until the next <laughs> That's one. Right. Um, <laughs> the, the fate of the free world hangs on November 6th. So what advice do you have, especially being in the position you're in, what counsel can you give to prepare for the midterm elections? So there are, there are three ways that I would encourage, um, people and, and they all revolve around prayer, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've already said, I mean, there are people involved in other ways and greater ways. You know, never forsake your right to vote. It is extraordinary to live in a representative democracy yeah. where we have a voice and we have the we have a vote. You know, that's not true everywhere in the world today, and it mm-hmm. certainly is not true in, in human history. Um, so, so do vote. <laughs> yeah. But three three ways that I would encourage prayer, and these aren't in a particular order. Um, uh, I would actually, uh, I'm going to start with one that I would normally not start with because usually when I'm encouraging people to pray, I say start by praying for other people. <laughs> start uh-huh. by getting the focus off yourself. But I'm going to say begin with praying for yourself. Yeah. And pray that you would truly adopt a heart of thanksgiving and and to become an intercessor for the people that are ultimately elected and will serve. Um that is what you know. First Timothy is is commanding and encouraging uh, and guiding us to do. Pray with thanksgiving in the heart of an intercessor, and acknowledge that there are things in your own mind, in your own heart, uh, things that are being influenced by by all sorts of 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 messages and and things going on in our world that are trying to keep you. From doing that, mm-hmm. uh, and not to go into all of it, but there are attitudes and and things that we have that will try and prevent us from praying with thanksgiving and intercession. Mm-hmm. So ask God to help you lay those down and truly adopt a First Timothy two attitude of prayer. Second, pray for the candidates. Pray for all of the candidates that are running. Pray for them to have endurance in the last days of the campaign. Pray that they will be encouraged by the Holy Spirit and that they would uh, they would persevere. Uh, you know, campaigns are hard. Uh, campaigns can get ugly. Um, pray for them to, to have strength and that they would persevere. Pray for their families, that they would be protected mm-hmm. um, from the, the vitriol and the animus that can surround uh, political debate and ideas. Uh, pray for their families as they are in the midst of the last few days of the campaign, uh, because we also want to pray against any bitterness that could, that could spring up in them in the midst of a campaign. It can happen. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of November 6th, you're going to have elected leaders. And those elected leaders are going to have to go to work. And and so we don't want the, the things that happen and, and are said in a campaign uh, to negatively affect their ability to truly work for the good of all Oklahomans. So pray for the candidates, all of them, um, not just the ones you're voting for. Mm-hmm. Um November 7th will be a new day. Uh, then finally, pray that they would be more influenced by godly wisdom than by earthly wisdom. And, you know, I think of James 3, you know, the wisdom that is from above. Uh, you know, obviously it is easier and more natural for a person who is a believer to be governed by godly wisdom than a non-believer. But, but godly wisdom 
can be exhibited by all people. It can, mm-hmm. you know, to be peaceable, to be right. pure. I mean, the, these this is heavenly wisdom, and we can pray for all of our elected leaders to operate uh, with godly wisdom. Um, pray for those who are not believers that their hearts would be softened to the gospel. Um, you know, I, one of my favorite attributes of, of godly wisdom is that it's easily entreated. Hmm. And I, I think it was William Barclay, maybe not, but a commentator described what does it mean to be easily entreated. And it's to, to listen with a willingness to be convinced of another person's point of view. Yeah, that's a good quality in today's world. How often do you see that? Yeah. You know, uh, so I, I pray for our elected leaders uh, on the other side of, of November 6th, that they would they would have that kind of wisdom, that they would have that kind of spirit about them as they engage uh, in their work, uh, as they champion their their personal convictions, as they as they champion their constituencies, um, they're going to have differences and different priorities, uh, but they get to step out from the crowd and represent their districts. And step into that room with other individuals, and with a with a with a charitable spirit, and a and a and a generous heart, they can work together mm-hmm. to navigate a way forward for all Oklahomans, so that all people in our state can flourish and thrive. So, so pray for yourself, pray for the candidates as they're in the last days of the campaign, and then pray for those who will be elected, that they would they would be encouraged by the Spirit and they would have godly wisdom as they go about their legislative tasks on our behalf. So one of my favorite things about getting to do a podcast is just getting to hear book recommendations from the people we have on. So, And I'll admit, I just stole this. Boldface stole it from 5 Minutes in Church History podcast. But I always like to ask, what are your five Desert Island books? So just to clarify, you're not being marooned on the island. You're being sent there as an all-expenses-paid primitive vacation <laughs> with uh, a library. And there are some books that are already there. So the collected works of certain people, Bibles, that kind of thing. Of course, we've got like six copies of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter that are there from from people who have been there before. So there are some things there. Uh, what I really want to get at, though, is just like what are the books that have shaped you? What are the ones that you enjoy? What are the ones you want to read? If you had all the reading time in the world, what would you read? Yeah. So what are your five? Well, and it's interesting. I, um, I finished my dissertation. You know, now I'm coming up on a year almost. Uh-huh. So I always said, you know, I, I've been reading and reading and reading things that I had to read. So um, getting to shift my focus to things that I, I want to read. But, I mean, the stuff that I read on discipleship and Mentorship and discipleship, I, I mean, are gold and, and yeah. be my go-to stuff for forever. It does change the reading so, <laughs> game not to have it hanging over your head, though. Right. So, you know, I, I guess uh, I'm going to run kind of three. I'm going to run three books together and count them as two because it's totally, kind, of, kind of as a totally category. Fine. And and that's kind of one is in the area of spiritual disciplines. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of a big spiritual disciplines guy. Uh-huh. I, I've um, seen the spiritual disciplines effective in my life in different ways and at different seasons. Um, something that I've, I really value is digging deep into the mm-hmm. spiritual disciplines. And so, of course, you've got like Richard Foster, yeah. who, which is, you know, a, a foundational text. So I'm going to not bring that one. Yeah. Um, 
I love Dallas Willard's The Spirit of the Disciplines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the way Dallas Willard thinks, love yeah. the way he writes. Uh, it's challenging, um, don't always agree with it, but I love the way he, he writes and thinks about the disciplines and really how he, how he really holds the Christian life uh, as something that, that is filled with hope and transition and, and change. God is changing us. And so yeah. I love the way he thinks about spiritual disciplines. Don Whitney is another relatively newer author mm-hmm. uh, on the scene for spiritual disciplines. And of course, he's been teaching at Southern for yeah. for a while on this topic. But his Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. That's a fantastic I, book. I love that book. And, and, and so I would love to kind of dig back into spiritual disciplines. But he wrote a companion book, Don Whitney did, called Praying the Bible. Yes. And if you've not done that, or uh, it, it was powerful. Mm-hmm. And you can read it in like, 45 minutes. I yeah. mean, it's like 70 pages. It's not, it, and it's a pretty simple method, but I remember specifically rocking our uh, second daughter to sleep at night, practicing his method of praying the Bible, and for the first time in my life, feeling as though I was praying what God wanted, not what I wanted. Oh, yeah. Um, so kind of the that, spiritual yeah. disciplines. That's really good. And it's the thing I love about that book is it is a skill in yeah. a book. I mean, it's something that will absolutely transform your Christian life, praying God's words back to him. Yeah. And just walking through, I mean, it's so easy, such a short book. The method is simple, but it opens up a whole lifetime of opportunity to grow in your prayer life. And so that's a really good recommendation for anybody that hasn't read that. It is, yeah. it is well worth twice the price to, uh, to get that one. So the, the next book, which will count as my third book, mm-hmm. um, is just because I, I listen to your podcast and I hear what other people recommend and I want to try to hang. Uh-huh. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm currently reading God and Other Minds by Alvin Planning. Okay. Don't, Gosh, don't you understand a, a word of it. For I don't understand I a word of it. So I would need the, I would need the vacation uh, to, uh, to help with that. But I, I, I've, I really have enjoyed Alvin Planning. Mm-hmm. I, I, I Obviously, he has made an incredible impact Huge. Um, on, on uh, philosophy and, and just Christian scholarship. Yeah. And, and the thing I like about him, too, is he's a guy that I feel like if I met him, I'd actually like him. Yeah. Which is not the case when you read philosophy most of the time. Right. You read this, and you're like, I, this guy may be doing some good things in the world, but I don't really like him. Alvin Plantinga, this is funny. So Plantinga is, is, is one of the, like if there were a Mount Rushmore for Christian philosophers, for all time, he mm-hmm. would be on it. I mean, he's he could have been famous for one of six different things that he brought to the table philosophically. I mean, just massive. Yeah. But when I was in, I think this was when I was doing my master's, somebody found this video and started sending it around in our seminary group of planting of being interviewed on the news. I'm, I think this is when he was at Calvin College. But uh, so he's up in Michigan, and it's like a local news station, and they're talking about this big recall on air conditioners. So like these air conditioners have been breaking and stuff. And sure enough, they are interviewing Alvin Plantinga <laughs> on his frustration about his air conditioner not working. And he's like, you have the premier Christian philosopher in the world who's willing to talk shop on air conditioners. <laughs> And that's just the kind of guy he is. Like he, awesome. when you read him, even though yeah, I get lost every couple of pages with him. A lot of times, his his analogies are hilarious. I mean, the the just the examples he chooses. And my my advisor at Southern had planting on his committee, 
Oh, wow. And he yeah. said that Plantinga told him one time that when he was writing his dissertation, this is an encouragement to anybody writing a dissertation, but he said when he was writing his dissertation, his wife would drop him off at the library every day and he would work from like, you know, seven o'clock until lunch on, you know, his dissertation work. And then he was like, you know, the mind can only do so much. So from like one o'clock to three o'clock, he would read science fiction in the library every day, just as a refresher. And then he'd work from like three to six or whatever until his wife came back and picked him up. But he did that, he had that little window of science fiction reading every day in his dissertation work. He's just a gem of a, of a guy. I love planting it. Well, I, I had, we, we did not plan this. But my uh, my next book is uh, the com- the complete five volume set of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. No way! Yeah. <laughs> so um, I yeah, that was not planned. Um, you know, I I've heard other you know obviously I, you know talk about the great you know the great epic stories and yeah. the, the the chronicles and. Um, I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. If you've never read Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide, yeah. it's uh, the only the only time I've ever sat and read a book and and just had to set it down laughing. I mean, yeah. it, it make you laugh out loud reading the book. It was so funny. And there's actually, I mean, there, there's multiple iterations of Hitchhiker's Guide. It started as a radio show, and then he 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 wrote it as a book, and then it was a, a BBC television show in the seventies, and then recently it was adapted as a Hollywood movie. Uh-huh. Um, but the 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 audio books, as read by Douglas Adams, mm-hmm. some of the funniest stuff you will ever listen to. Okay, you and, know what's really funny huh? is I recorded another podcast this morning. It's not, it won't be out for two weeks after. This is where you get into like the inception of the schedule. Like <laughs> we're recording it, this one after that one. That one will come out a couple weeks after this one. And one of his books was The Hitchhiker's Guide okay. to the Galaxy. So it, 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 it's becoming one of our most popular ones. It, well, I mean, and of course, I mean, Douglas Adams, I can't speak exactly for him, but he's, he's a, if not a committed atheist, he was certainly a committed yeah. naturalist. Yeah. And so, not a uh, not a theist uh, by yeah. by any stretch, um, and and the way. But I, I, of course, I love seeing dialogue with with people who think like he does, oh, yeah. and thought like he does. And so, you know, it's really really enriching and encouraging, you know, stuff just to read and think about and challenge your own your own convictions, your own beliefs. But he's just so funny. Uh-huh. He's it's, he's hilarious, and um, there's stuff that he has said and he's written. That I will, and I won't say what, but I will take stuff that he said and written, uh-huh. and I'll insert into conversation as commentary on mm-hmm. our current pol- politics. Yeah, and people will stop me and say that is so incredibly insightful and so true. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening, and I'm like, yeah, it was written 40 years ago. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> as, the way that... as British comedy. Yeah, so, oh, that is good. Um, yeah, so lo- love Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, and the last is, you know, I read this one a while ago um, and just loved it. And that's uh, Arnold Dalimore's biography of Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very easy reading. Um, very, very, uh, he makes the man very approachable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not, I don't want to in any way, you know, uh, make an inappropriate association. Um uh, but I I just related mm-hmm. to the story of of Spurgeon's yeah. conversion. Oh yeah, the way Dalimore you know articulated it, presented it, um, 
it was it was very uh, it's it it uh, it spoke to me. Like, mm-hmm. I heard, uh, I you know, it's the same spirit uh, of Christ is in every believer. And right. when I was reading about Spurgeon's conversion, I'm I mean, that's the Lord I know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. And that's how I felt yeah. when when I was reading it, and I loved that book. And, and I actually read that book. Um, the first time I read it was when I was really beginning vocational pastoral ministry. Uh-huh. And it was so helpful just in, and encouraging yes. as I considered I mean, becoming there is a pastor. No better mentor mm-hmm. to have, even through books, as a pastor than Charles Spurgeon. Right. The Prince of yeah. Preachers, the pastor's pastor. And mm-hmm. honestly, to go with the conversation we've had today, somebody who really believed in the power of prayer and yeah. the power of evangelism to change society. Yeah. You know, he's one of the greatest evangelists ever. And one of the greatest American evangelists, I'll never forget, D.L. Moody, talks about Spurgeon's church. And he says the most impressive part of his church was not his preaching. It was his praying. Yeah. He's like, that's what really sticks with you. Yeah. And um, Spurgeon was a man of, of prayer mm-hmm. and believed that that's really what was going to change society. And then he got up and preached as if the Word of God could change any heart. Yeah. And I just love that about him. Yeah. So, uh, well, Joel, thank you, man, for coming on. I really enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. It was an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. (laughs) 